0: And all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We'll use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the best source of recruiting information on the go. What's up, guys? On this episode, we are joined by University of Montevallo Associate Head Coach and Pitching Coach Ben Jackson. Jackson's entering his third season with the Falcons, where he's been leading their pitchers and recruiting efforts. Prior to his time in Alabama, Jackson was on the staff at New Mexico State for two years, and before that, the University of Kentucky for four years, where he helped lead the Wildcats to one of their best seasons in program history in 2012. Coach Jackson, awesome to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us.
1: For sure, Ethan. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, man. I know you guys just started your season and you're busy, so I want to just jump right into things. Why don't you just start off by giving us a quick rundown of your career in baseball and kind of how you got to be the uh, associate head coach at Montevallo? For sure, Ethan. So I
1: grew up in in Rome, Georgia. Um, I played three sports in high school. Um, Then I got the opportunity to go down to Armstrong State in Savannah. Um, I was a pitcher, uh, pitched two years for for Joe Roberts down there. Um, I knew I wanted to get into coaching at an early age. Uh, My grandfather was a coach and um, just kind of, I guess, in my genes. Um, And I was really fortunate and blessed to get the opportunity to go um, from there to the University of Kentucky. Um, I was there for four years, finished my undergrad. Um, worked on my master's. Um, Gary Henderson was the head coach. Um, He gave me the opportunity to get my feet wet. Um, The staff was Brian Green and Brad Bohannon were the two assistants. And um, I owe owe a lot of credit to those two guys for taking me under their wings and letting me fail and letting me learn from it. Um, And then from there, Brian got the head job at New Mexico State. Um, So I went out there for two years as the volunteer assistant. Um, nice. learned a lot um, just from a, you know, development standpoint um, and working for Brian. And then I guess two summers ago, I got the, the call from Chandler Rose here at Montevallo um, to be the pitching coach. Um, I was fired up for the opportunity.
0: Um, and so, yeah, man, just starting year three now. So three years later, and that's a pretty impressive coaching tree that you've, you've been able to learn from. So you probably Picked up some good stuff and definitely looking forward to to getting into that. So we've had a couple guests on the show who are coaching college baseball and didn't actually play college baseball. So you played a couple years at Armstrong. And then did you play at Kentucky or did you just jump right into that coaching role? I did not. So I just played two years at Armstrong. Uh, my 85 turned into
1: about 78. Um, <laughs> so I realized I wasn't very good um and no, I joined Kentucky as a student assistant and was really fortunate just for that opportunity um I failed a lot I know the first couple of years they let me fail um they gave me responsibility um and I you know obviously I learned a lot from those guys yeah and,
0: and also obviously that 2012 year was one of the best in program history and then you guys had some some standout players come through the program while you were coaching there for sure man I think 2012 was a a very special year,
1: you know, to 2011, our first, my first year there, we kind of struggled and we basically returned everybody in 2012 and just kind of a, a commitment, a reestablishment of, of culture, you know, and, and, you know, just everybody was close. It was just a different feel. Um, and you know, obviously winning is contagious and, you know, we started the year off, I think it was like 21 and 0, Yeah. Um, we, and then we opened up with South Carolina at home, Um, who just won back-to-back national championships. Um, We swept them, and then kind of we just took off from there. Um, But it was a really special year, and, you know, I think we got about four or five big leaguers right now um, from that team and a bunch of guys playing pro ball. And then, you know, obviously in 2014 we had A.J. Reed and Austin Kuzno and that crew. Um, And what A.J. did was, you know, really unique and special and something that's – really never been done in college baseball so it was just unique just to, to see him on a daily basis and how he went about his business and the stuff he was able to accomplish um, on the mound and you know at the plate.
0: Yeah that's awesome and we're going to get to that a little bit later but you know for our listeners out there just an incredible resource of information so looking forward to pulling some of that out of you and and what I want to do is I want to start off by talking about recruiting and specifically with pitchers so you know sure. when you're out on the recruiting trail, what are you looking for when you're trying to find the next great Falcon arm? What, what skills or a- attributes do you want in a recruit? Um, for sure. I think, I think at
1: first, um, just kind of from a broad spectrum when you're looking at an arm, um, the first thing I look at is, um, is he athletic? Is there athleticism throughout the delivery? I think that just translates more down the road when we're trying to make adjustments and development. more athletic you are, I think you pick up on things just in a quicker fashion. Then next, you kind of look at, does the arm work? Um, does it come through? Is it loose? And then you kind of go to the shape of the pitches. They're moving on the fastball. And then kind of our level, Ethan, we spend a lot of time recruiting on the breaking ball. Yeah. Because, you know, we're not getting the 90, 95 guys. Most of our guys are 84, 86 coming in. So, you know, we look at a guy that's eighty four, eighty six, and is the breaking ball 76 to 79. So we know there's a little hand speed in there. You know, there's more velo down the road, you know, compared to a guy that's 84, 86, and then he's flipping in a 65-mile or a breaking ball. Yeah. Um, so we kind of spend a lot of time working, you know, recruiting off the breaking ball. And then from there, I kind of dissect the delivery even more. For me, I spend a lot of time on the lower half, um, especially the front leg. Um, so I start looking at the front leg, um, at foot plant, you know, obviously you want to flush foot. Um, is there an ankle turn? Is there a knee buckle or is it flush with the the hamstring pull in the back hip through? Um, just cause, you know, if you add strength there, then there's more velo there in, in that aspect. And then more from an arm health standpoint, just getting from the side of it, seeing if the guy's connected at foot plant, um, is the arm 90 degrees or in, um, I just think you, you look at a lot of big leaguers that threw really hard for a long period of time, and at foot plant, their hand is really close to their ear. Um, so just trying to see if a guy's connected at the top. So just Go to ahead.
0: clarify, you know, for some of the high school guys that are listening, a lot of what you're talking about is, is injury-type stuff, strength and, and functional movement-type stuff with that front lead leg blocking and, and arm sure. in, a, in a strong position. So these are – elements that you're specifically looking for in recruiting for sure
1: it is i think it's just from a development standpoint um is the is the base there so when he gets to us um, we start putting weight on him he gets stronger mm-hmm. and you know it's hard to overcome some of those knee buckles and, and arm actions um, but if the basis is there and we can just add weight to him and do some you know small tweaks here and there then those are the guys that really make jumps. Uh, by the time you know they're sophomores or juniors, yeah,
0: uh, yeah, good stuff. Sorry to sorry to interrupt. I just want to make sure that our listeners are able to follow along because this is some some really in depth and high level stuff that you're giving giving them, which is great. So go on. What were you saying? What, what um, what's next? So
1: then, yeah. So then I think just lastly, um, how does the kid handle fa- failure? You know, is the is the umpire tight? Is he getting hit around? How does he handle that? And then lastly, I think, you know, a small thing that is just very elementary, but does the guy get squared up a lot? Mm-hmm. You know, is he getting just absolutely squared up? Because we've all seen the guys that it's not the prettiest. Um, you know, they're not going to blow up the radar gun. But at the end of the day, you just go see them pitch a couple times and they never get hit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of just that intangible thing of, you know, at the end of the day, does the guy get barreled up a lot? Um, that's something that I think gets overlooked sometimes, just recruiting pitchers' standpoint. But if the guy doesn't get a hit, you know, there's deception there. Something's there on why he doesn't get hit.
0: Now, if, you, if you've if you got a guy who does check all those boxes, so, you know, 84, 86, breaking ball is firm uh, and puts himself in good positions, but he does get barreled up a lot, is that a guy that you're mm-hmm. going to take a chance on? It is. I mean, I think,
1: you know, you just pass the eye test. You know, is it a guy that projects well? Do you feel like you can make him better? And then you're just trying to figure out, is he just up in the zone a lot? Or is he just miss or middle? Why is he getting hit? Um, but for sure, we we
0: definitely take those kids as well. Yeah. Man, that's, that's really thorough. That's great stuff. Is there anything that you're looking for that might surprise a high school kid who's listening to this? Um, surprise?
1: I don't know about surprise. I think, you know, the biggest thing is just how does he handle failure and small things, you know, when we're out watching games is how does he interact with his teammates? Mm -hmm. Um, How does he interact with his coaches? How does he interact with his parents? Is he respectful? And, you know, at the end of the day, does he really enjoy and love baseball? Because we get hundreds of emails and you get all these kids that are saying, you know, baseball is my passion. I 100% love it. And then you go watch him play and he's jogging on the field or jogging off the field. And you kind of question, well, do you really love it? Do you really enjoy it? Because I think if you really enjoy it, then when, once you get to us, you know, the daily grind, the practice, the weights, it's going to be more easy to you, I guess, or it's just you know going to be more enjoyable to be around. Right. Um, and you're going to thoroughly enjoy it. And that's when, you know, guys really make strides. And those are the guys you just want to coach guys that enjoy being there and then, love getting after it and they love the game yeah
0: and that's something that a lot of kids don't realize is you know they they play a lot of baseball in high school and travel ball and whatnot but it really does take it to the next level when you get to college and that's your you know other than school that's your primary focus for
1: sure and it's it's really easy to see when you're watching a kid play you can easily tell if he really really enjoys being out there he enjoys getting after it or if it's you know a guy just going through the motions
0: yeah before we move on to to kind of your process for finding recruits, I want to go back to what you said about looking for for kids and that handle failure well. So do you actually want to see a kid experience failure when you go see him? You want to see him at his best and his worst? Or you know, what are you looking for in terms of that that failure and adversity?
1: For sure. I I you know, obviously you want to recruit kids that have success but I enjoy watching kids and how they, you know, handle, handle failure, because, you know, once they get to us, there's going to be a lot of failure involved and that's just the nature of the sport. Um, and, you know, if it's, if they don't handle it well down the road, it might be holding them back, but if it's something that they can get over and go to the next pitch um, or the next that bat, or the next play, um, you know, and flush it, then, you know, that's where the, the growth and the maturity happens um but 100 i you know it's it's some something you got to look at on how is the guy going to handle failure because you know when he gets to you a lot of the times you know he's going to fail and that's just the nature of the sport
0: definitely it's not a matter of if adversity is going to strike but when uh, for sure love that man talk a little bit about your process for finding recruits so how do you get connected with guys that end up playing in your program
1: for sure. I think we're just like any other you know, university um, or college out there. Um, I think a lot of our guys, obviously, it starts with word of mouth, um, just through connections of high school coaches, travel ball coaches, travel organizations, um, former teammates, whatever it may be, um, just a phone call from them, an email, a text. And then, you know, more of a broad sense, going to the big tournaments and kind of just seeing a bunch of players in one spot or showcases. Um, But, you know, most of our stuff is from word of mouth, Mm -hmm. um, just from connections we've had. um, And then obviously going to see the, you know, those guys play. So.
0: Obviously, that network is a huge factor in recruiting. If if there's a high school coach out there listening to this, that doesn't really have a great idea of how to connect with coaches in that way. If they feel like they have a player who's right for a program, what would you, what would be your suggestion for them just in terms of reaching out and, and talking about a guy that they have, that might be a fit.
1: Yeah. I think number one, to send an email, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, just look on the websites. And if you feel like you have a kid, that would be a perfect fit for that, that school. Um, Just first to send an email and just start, you know, building a connection there. I think the next thing is just be honest about the kid yeah. because you know up front if you you know tell me the guy's going to be 9095 and then he shows up and he's 8081 um then the credibility kind of goes out the window there but I think the biggest thing for high school coaches is just reach out you know direct message on Twitter whatever it may be just just reach out
0: and just start to build that connection that's a good point I haven't met many college coaches who don't appreciate a little help here and there finding a guy that might work for them.
1: For sure, man. And the high school coaches are in the trenches. And, um, you know, we owe a lot to those guys and all the development from an early standpoint happens. And you can always tell, you know, our freshmen weren't first week of individuals and weights right now. Um, And you can tell the, the freshmen that have been through a high school program where weights was emphasized, you know, they can walk right now. And the guys that yeah, <laughs> um, wasn't really emphasized? They're really struggling right now. But high school, you know, high school coaches
0: owe a lot of credit to those guys. Yeah. How much value do you guys put on video in the recruiting process? And and what are a few things that you like to see in the recruiting or skills video? Yeah, I think we do. We do it quite
1: a bit on video. I think, you know, it's if it's a first time communication with a kid. Um, video is the first time that I'll be able to see them if I haven't seen them in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously if it's unseen, it's our first set of eyes. Um, I think the biggest thing, um, is keep the video as short as you can. Um, cause once, you know, coaches click on a video and it's 25 minutes long, they're probably not going to sit there for 25 minutes and watch the whole, whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I think from a pitcher, um, I like to see it from the side and from behind, um, with the radar gun included in the video, if you can. So from behind um, the behind the pitcher or behind the catcher, um, preferably both, okay. um, but behind the catcher just to see the shape of the pitches, um, just in a bullpen setting, um, and from the side. Yeah, and you know, just a radar gun just helps you know solidify you know okay that looks eighty five with with no radar gun, but if there is a radar gun, then obviously it just solidifies what it is. Yeah. And then position player-wise, just hitting from the side and behind home plate to see ball flight. And then defensively, if it's an infielder, just ground balls, just seeing the actions of the hands, how does the arm work. And then outfielders, you know, throwing from their position. Um, I think it's great when we get 60s, um, when guys are running 60s and they show the stopwatch right when the kid's done, just to see, you know, obviously him running. But we do, you know, we do quite a bit on video just from, a, you know, just a, the first impression. Yeah. Um, and, if, you know, if the kids have any game footage, just short little clips here and there, um, those always help, you know, to put in at the end. Yeah. Have you ever committed
0: a player who you've only seen on video? Um, yes, we have. And what is what does that take? What What would a kid need to show on video in order for you to do
1: that? For sure, and I think you know ideally um we would not like to do that, obviously, we'd like to see them in person um before we offer or commit a kid, but I think just financially um from our standpoint, yeah, uh, you know I'm not allowed to just i would love to travel the country every weekend, but just from a finance point of view, um we're not allowed to do that right um, so you know we we have a couple of kids on our on our roster, a couple from Arizona, one from California who you know, we, we basically signed just on video alone. Um, now it's, you know, w- with the video, we see it then we kind of look up stats, a couple of junior college players and a couple of high school kids. But, you know, we see the video and it's something we really like. Um, and then obviously just talking to the coach, um, to vouch for the kid, you know, what kind of kid is he, the makeup, um, all the off the field kind of issues or, um, standpoints, what kind of kid is he going to be like when he gets here? Right. Um, but we do, um, you know, ideally I'd like to see the kid in person, but, um, I'd be lying to, you know, sit here and lie to you. If I said we didn't sign any kids just on video. Yeah. Uh,
0: And I think the financial side that you bring up is a really good point, not only for the schools, which obviously have recruiting budgets and, and can't, like you said, can't go out every weekend and go to the, the far corners of the U S is, you know, video is becoming a much bigger deal and an affordable way for players to create exposure that can actually get them a spot on the college roster. For sure. And I think, you know, with this day and age,
1: the technology is so advanced that, you know, you can take it with your phone or an iPad or whatever, and then, um, you know, just plug it into an email and send it out. Um, It's, you know, it's a really good resource and, you know, obviously there's a bunch of recruiting, networks out there that we use too, um, that do video as well. Um, but you know, you can do it yourself just with your phone. Um, if you don't have those means.
0: Yep. Nice, nice and easy to put together a a quality video. Um, For sure. Let's get into some of your recruiting pet peeves. Is there anything (laughs) that, you know, favorite, favorite question here? Is there anything that recruits do that will cause you to cross them off no matter how good they are?
1: Man, I think, you know, I think you obviously, every coach has certain pet peeves, whether they're big or small. I think the biggest thing for me is when you talk to a kid and he blames his playing time or his development on the high school coach, Mm -hmm. and you're talking to him on the phone and it turns into just a a bash fest. Um, And, you know, that's just kind of a turnoff. You know, if you're not playing, obviously, the high school coach has a job to win, and he's going to put the best kids on the field that do that. Um, and I think a quick little story, um, you know, we have, an, we have a freshman right now who last season had a really good regular season, and then towards the end, he kind of struggled, um, and they got to the playoffs, and he didn't pitch. And so I called the kid, and we're talking, and he goes, Coach, I didn't pitch because I didn't perform the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he took ownership for that. Um, instead of, you know, pointing fingers. Um, I think that's just kind of one of the things that's just kind of a turn off early on is if you're talking to a kid and then instantly just starts, you know, blaming why he can't throw a curveball because of his pitching coach or the lesson guy or, you know, his high school coach, or this is why he only has five at-bats instead of, you know, taking ownership of, you know, I got to get better to play. Yeah. Um, And what do I need to do personally to get on the field? Yeah. Um, So I think that's just kind of,
0: one of the main pet peeves early on. Yeah, transfer of blame is, uh, you know, that's that's something you can't coach, right? If if people no. point the fingers, you know, there's nothing you can really do to help that. No. And, you know, then it becomes a worry
1: of when he gets here and his development is not going as fast as, as you know, both the kid and I would like, then, you know, is he going to start blaming me? Is he going to cause problems in the locker room? You know, start blaming other people, and he's not, you know, ultimately just not going to be a good teammate. Um, So those are just small little deals. Yeah,
0: now, when you were at Kentucky, you had, and you mentioned it earlier, you had A.J. Reed who won the Golden Spikes as a two-way player. Just a, I think we actually played against you guys when I was coaching at Upstate that year. Just a ridiculous year, right, on the mound. And with the bat, guys made it to the big leagues. I know he's kind of up and down. Right now, where do you stand on guys pitching and hitting and and playing other positions? Do you guys have a lot of two-way guys on your roster? Is that something you look for? Um, I think, you know,
1: it's obviously something you kind of see early on in the recruiting process. Um, And currently on our team right now, we have four guys that are doing both. I think at the college level, it's difficult to do, but it's not um, impossible. Um, I think it takes a different work ethic um, from a kid Um, and AJ was the prime example just because you only have so many hours in the week and, you know, the rules of we only have, you know, two hours a week right now with the kids. So, you know, we have a couple of those guys where the pitching is kind of the primary focus right now. And then on the on the side, they got to go hit on their own. And A.J. was a prime example because he would do the pitching, you know, focused. And then that guy would spend hours on hours in the cage. And, you know, you'd have to kick him out of the cage. And, you know, it's something that it just takes an inner drive for a kid that, you know, ultimately does he really want to do both? Um, And can he, you know, for us, can he really help us out? You know, whether it's a, a weekend or bullpen arm or can he play third base or can he hit in the middle of our order? Can he have a role? pinch it off the, off the bench or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it just takes a special work ethic. Um, and you know, and kind of from the coaching standpoint, my end, um, I just have to be really organized and balancing the kid's time and understanding that, you know, if he's playing third base, well, he might take a hundred ground balls this day. He probably doesn't need to throw a bullpen on the same day. Right. Uh, So this kind of, you know, on the coaching front, just being organized, um, And, you know, and in in the course of the fall, you always bring in two-way guys and kind of throughout the fall, it kind of works its way out where the guys kind of gravitate to one or the other, Mm -hmm. kind of where they just excel at. But we've had a couple guys that have done both. Um, It just takes, you know, a special kid and a special work ethic just from a lot on your own. Um, But it definitely can be done. And obviously, it'd be a luxury to have a guy you know, like Aja threw on Friday night and won 10 <laughs> games and then, you know, hitting the three-hole and hit 20 bolts or whatever it was. So, um, I, I but for sure, just, man, I think. I think there's a
0: lot of coaches out there that would agree that they wouldn't mind yeah. having a player of that caliber. Um, yeah. Just to dive into that a little bit more, are these conversations that you're having during the recruiting process, you know, if a kid expresses an interest in playing, playing both ways, how, how do those conversations go? Is it, is it a decision, like you said, that just kind of works itself out more often than not? Or are you giving the kid a realistic view of what he might be capable of doing at your level? How does that kind of shake out?
1: Yeah, I think just on the forefront, you want to be honest with the kid and just, just kind of map out a plan for him to know what it's going to be like when he gets here. Um, just an understanding that he's going to have to do a lot on his own to get his work in to do both. Um, But it's something that we don't shy away from, but I think a lot of the times it just works itself out. And, you know, if the guy can do both, then I hope he does both all four years. Um, But most of the time it really just shapes itself out um, after the first fall or after a couple years, a couple seasons. um, They kind of just gravitate towards one or the other that they, you know, excel more at.
0: Yeah, but you don't mind when when recruits – express that interest and and say that they want to play both ways and ask questions about that no no
1: no no not at all but i think it's you know it's funny sometimes when you get of course every pitcher thinks they can hit and every position player (laughs) thinks they can pitch um but you know if it's a kid that we've seen and we feel like he has a legit shot at both um then obviously we
0: definitely entertain it yeah great well we started talking about that a little bit in this last question but if you could get into the minds of the high school players and and help them prepare for the transition to college, what's what's some of the main things that you would really want them to know?
1: Um I think we touched on it a little earlier, but I think the biggest thing um and we're obviously seeing it in week 1 right now but the weight room, um I think it's something that if you really dedicate yourself early on and especially in high school, it's, you know, things that can get guys to the next level, Um, just the development from a strength standpoint, and, you know, when the freshman gets here and he's he can stay up with the upperclassmen and the weights and stuff, then, you know, he's going to progress a lot faster than the guy that's still sore from squatting two weeks ago. Um, But, you know, I think the weight room is is a big thing, Um, just transition standpoint, understanding the time that's going to be put in from study hall to the weight room, um, to class, um, understanding all the different the freedoms that you're going to have in college. But I think that the biggest thing is just to get in the weight room um, and get to work. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that, that helps guys when they get here is the guys that can really handle that stress and that effort
0: um, from day one. So you're just looking for high school players to put in consistent time in the weight room so that they're better prepared once they have to transition to that heavier and, and sports specific, maybe even position specific workload that you guys are going to place on them, both, you know, on the field and in the weight room then?
1: Yes. I think it just makes the transition a lot easier for them. Um, instead of just falling behind and having to catch up. Yeah. Um, I think this from a strength standpoint, it just helps them just make the transition on, an, on a daily basis of, you know, weight room to a hundred ground balls, to BP, to conditioning. Um, whatever it may be, um, but I think it just makes the transition a lot easier. Yeah.
0: So you guys are, you know, at the beginning of that transition for a new group of players. What does the fall look like for you guys at Montevallo, and and how are you and the rest of your staff kind of preparing your players for the for success in the spring? And 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 then you know, do your freshmen get treated the same way as the returners in the fall? For sure. I think um, right now we just started. Um,
1: week one, we're allowed two hours a week. So we kind of set it up. We do this for five weeks. So I have an individual with pitchers Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday for 30 minutes a day. And then we have weights um, every day at 3.30. So, you know, a typical day in the fall is waking up, going to class, and then you have your individual kind of based around your class schedule. One, um, me with six other guys. And then from there you go to weights. And then twice a week you have study hall, and we do that for five weeks. And then once that is over, we start team practice, um, and we have twenty-four practices, or we will start going weights in the morning at seven a.m. And then we have, you know, team practices. We we intersquad at least three times a week, sometimes four, mm-hmm. um, but we intersquad a lot. And then we're actually playing a couple fall games um, this fall. But I think, you know, a big thing is the individuals are just kind of a basis for putting down our philosophies, um, our beliefs, how we go about things, how we want to play the game. So that's kind of preparing the guys individually for once we get to team practice. So we know how to practice and how to be as a team going through different drills and um, things like that. We do not, we treat everybody the same. And, yeah. you know, obviously you're going to have to babysit some freshmen early on or, you know, put your arm around them and love them um, and tell them it's going to be okay. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, the biggest thing for freshmen, wherever they are, um, the biggest thing that they have to overcome is realizing that they can play at this level and they're good enough. Um, I think that's the first hurdle to get over because when you first get here, you're kind of sizing everybody up or you're trying to, you know, figure out, I don't throw as hard as, you know, this guy, Um, but understanding that you are good enough. You're here for a reason. And then once, you know, the guys kind of the freshmen kind of get over that stage, then the development and, uh, starts starts taking place. Yeah. And so
0: fall, you're really building up. And then what do you have those guys do? You know, once that first semester is over and you have, you know, most programs have a pretty decent break there where the guys are on their own, are you? preparing those guys with plans, daily plans. What, what does that transition to kind of the winter off season look like? Cause you know, not, not a lot of people listening might know, but you know, you, you put in all this work during the fall, right. And then you have this winter break or holiday break. And then as soon as you get back, boom, it's pretty much your, you got to hit the ground running. So how are you guys preparing, you know, that transition from the fall to that time where the guys are going to be on their own, and what are the the expectations for your guys?
1: For sure. I think um, from a pitching standpoint, um, I have it mapped out for all our guys. They're on, obviously, daily, weekly schedules, monthly schedules, um, and they each have a yearly plan so then they know when they're supposed to be shut down, um, what throwing program they have for this week or this day. But we're kind of in a unique spot just because – we finished basically a week before Thanksgiving and then they come back and they basically have dead week and then finals where we can't do anything with them. Um, mm-hmm. and we don't see them until, you know, they get back from back for the spring semester in January. Um, and basically we start February 2nd, um, or February 1st. Um, so they get back and we basically have about three weeks until the first game. So it's a, it's a short turnaround just in division two. Yeah. Um, So we have our guys, you know, obviously we give them a plan for the winter break. You know, our pitchers are required to throw a certain amount of bullpens. Um, I make them take a video of it and send it to me just uh, so I know they're getting it done. Um, But, you know, a lot of them, a lot of that is put on them. Um, And a lot of guys, you know, you always have the fall, the guy that's the all-star in the fall, and then he just can't figure it out in the spring. Um, and then you have the guys just really struggle in the fall and then they go out in the spring and they're all Americans. And you can usually tell that first day when you get back from the Christmas break of what guys put, who put in the work and who didn't. But a lot of that is on their own. You know, we, we have a whole plan written out for them. Um, but you know, we put a lot of trust and faith that they're getting the work in and, and not putting all the work that we did in the fall. Um, not letting it go to waste. So it's a,
0: you know, a lot is put on the player, but we have it all written out for them. Yeah, and it can definitely be a a difficult mental adjustment for guys who, like you said, haven't necessarily been in the weight room at the same time that they're pitching, and maybe in the fall, you know they're pitching with some soreness or they're playing through some soreness, and so their velo's down, and then they they have this break right and And sometimes, at least for the some of the pitchers that I've worked with at the college level the big mistake is when they feel like they need to come in fresh, right? They don't realize that 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 combination of working out and um, and playing in the fall is actually going to benefit them in the spring when, you know, you cut workouts back and tailor everything to performance on the field. And they want to, they want to come in feeling fresh. So they don't do enough over break and then they try and play catch up. But at that point it's too late for sure. And I think it goes with the old adage. If, if you don't, if you don't
1: use it, you lose it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and it's just something that's got to be sustained over time. Um, because it can go away really, really, really quickly, whether it's in the weight room or the arm strength or feel for pitches. Um, so that's, you know, that work still has to be maintained over the Christmas break. Um, it's always, you know, a, a difficult time for the coaching staff because you're sitting here biting your nails going, God, I hope he's getting his bullpen in today or I hope he's getting in the weight room. Right. Um, but, you know, we're obviously in constant communication with those guys. Um, but a lot of faith and, and trust is is built in those guys. And, you know, that kind of starts in the recruiting aspect of you recruit a kid that, you know, ultimately you can trust that, you know, when you turn the corner, he's going to be doing the right thing. Um, so, you know, that starts in the recruiting process of recruiting the right kids um, so that, you know, when they do have a plan that's in front of them and Coach Jackson or, you know, whoever's not there to watch them, they're still getting their work in.
0: hundred percent, man. How about the spring? Okay. So really you've, you've taken us through a really detailed map of kind of the fall and that winter break. How is the spring different? How are you guys continuing to develop your guys? What does that process look like ramping up into the season? Yeah, I think the,
1: you know, the, the cool thing, our, our head coach, Coach Rose, kind of explains it this way. He says the fall is for the coaching staff and the spring is for the players. Fall is more for us to develop you. And in the spring, we just want to un- unleash the reins and let you go play. But obviously, you know, in the spring, we're playing a midweek game on either a Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, and then we have a weekend series, um, either Friday and Saturday with a doubleheader on Saturday um, or Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. So you're playing at least, you know, four games a week, a couple, couple weeks, five games. So obviously it's, it's a balance of the classes, just getting relationships with your professors and, you know, you're missing so much class, um, just balancing that aspect of it and then kind of getting a feel for your team and your staff and kind of base it around practice on how hard you need to go or is it days you need to let the reins back a little bit, and it'll, you know, a little more recovery time. But this, you know, and then we get in the weight room really at least one time a week as a team. But we require them to get in another time kind of on their own just because we don't have the hours in a week to get it. um, Right. To get that in. But the spring, you know, we just want to we just want our guys to just go play. Um, That's what we've been working for. And if we do our jobs right, then, you know, our players are accountable and they play for each other. Um, and at the end of the day, those are kind of the, the teams that you look back on that were really successful when there was leadership um, at the top and you didn't need a coach in the ear, the guy that's not doing his work on that day. But obviously, from a development standpoint, I think when you get in the spring, it gets a little more specific, um, tailored towards the game. You know, if it's a pitcher that we really struggled um, this past weekend on fastball glove side, then obviously, you know, we're going to spend that bullpen focus on fastball's glove side, or he he struggled with throwing his breaking ball for a strike or whatever it is. Um, So kind of that's just, uh, you kind of just tailor for the kid in the spring and what is the immediate need and what does he need to get better at for his next time out.
0: So what does a typical schedule look like, daily schedule look like for a kid during the spring? Let's say it's a game day. What does that schedule look like for one of your players from the time he wakes up to the time he goes to bed? For sure, I think. So he wakes
1: up, hopefully gets a good breakfast. Then he goes to class anywhere from 8 to 2 o'clock. Then he kind of, you know, he comes to the field. Um, A lot of our guys grab lunch on the way and eat it together in the locker room. From there, it's setting up the field. Um, We take BP for roughly 40, 50 minutes. Then the visiting team takes BP. And then you have in and out um, for both teams. And then for us, we're not fortunate to have a grounds crew, so our guys get the field ready, paint the lines, and then play the game. Um, And then kind of after post-game meal, some guys have to do laundry a little bit here and there. And then really, you know, they're just back to their dorm rooms or back to their apartments. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of a typical game day
0: schedule. Now, this may be a little – a question you weren't expecting to get, but you ever recruit – guys based on their grounds crew ability like hey this, <laughs> this guy can really really paint the line straight no no we of course
1: have the <laughs> the two or three pitchers that take care of the game mound that don't let anybody else on it and you know we have our our fifth year senior who's lined the field for the past 10 years it feels like and he feels <laughs> like he has the straightest lines out of anybody but no we don't recruit um that's just kind of i guess a, a side advantage to get um, in their recruiting
0: process. Yeah, there, there you go. If you're a recruit out there listening, you, know, you want you want to have a good fastball, a good breaking ball, and then you want to be able to, you know, yeah. work work the mound or paint the lines well. That can, you know, if you're up against a kid with similar skill level, <laughs> that can set you apart. Yeah. Uh, that's that's good, man. Um, uh, what uh, what would you want an incoming player to know about how, you know, high school baseball differs from from the college schedule, kind of on the field stuff. You know, we've talked a lot about, you know, that preparation point where, you know, you need guys to lift and you need guys to be ready for the increased workload. But how about on the field stuff? What, you know, what do guys need to know about how that transition is going to work and what they need to be improving on? Yeah, I think early on, on the field, the game's
1: going to speed up on them a lot. Um, You're going to feel like the, the guy's running down the line a lot faster than he did in high school. Um, there's going to be more physicality, the guy at the plate is going to look a little bigger. And I think the biggest thing to the first hurdle is a slowing the game down, lowering that heart rate, um, and understanding that it's still baseball. Um, there's still 90 foot base pass and, you know, it's still 60 feet, um, from the mound of the plate. But I think the intensity picks up. Um, I know the biggest thing for us is that first week of team practice. Um, they don't really realize how hard they're supposed to be going. So just kind of the intensity of the drill work and stuff like that is picked up. Then obviously, you know, you're, you go from being the best kid on your high school team or in the, in the area, and then, you know, day one you show up and there's three other, three other of you at shortstop and second base. Um, so, you know, trying to feel, you know, figure out what's going to separate you from those other guys um, to get on the field. Um, but I think transitionally, just on the field, is the biggest hurdle is just slowing the game down because they're going to speed up early on. Um, but just slowing it down and realizing that it is baseball, it's the same game. Um, you know, the talent level is just going to be a little better around them. Um, but just slowing the game down and realizing that, you know, it's something they've done before and it's something they can do. And
0: it's, you know, there's a reason why they're here. And are you guys using different drills and different things in practice to try and speed the game up on them so that? when they do get in the game, it slows it down a little bit for them? For sure. Um, I think we're our, one of our main core
1: values is compete. Um, and I think throughout the fall, to put our guys in as many situations where they have to compete, um, I think at the end of the day, prepares them for you know the ninth inning when it's bases loaded, 3-1 count, three hole up, and we call a, a breaking ball um, where the heart rate isn't just out the roof. Um, they feel like they've been in that situation before um, and just slowing it down and just um, and just competing at the end of the day.
0: That's good stuff. Um, I know we've thrown a bunch of questions at you and hopefully by now you're warmed up because I want to <laughs> do a little I want to do a little rapid fire Q&A. OK, and so I got five questions for you that cover a couple of different topics and fill in the blank questions. So I'm going to read them to you. And you fill in the blank with the, with the answer pretty quick. Okay, you ready, man? Yes, sir? Question one: When the parent of a recruit does blank, it drives me crazy.
1: Um, I think we touched on it early. I think when they speak badly on the high school or travel ball coaches and point blame.
0: Yeah. So parent or or recruit yep. doesn't matter. Yes. Yep. Question two. The most important thing for a recruit to do when contacting a college coach for the first time is blank. Um, send an email,
1: send video with the email, um, include your coach's contact info in it um, with your high school coach, your travel ball coach. Um, and then lastly, have an accurate heading. Um, I know if you're sending yeah. out a mass email, um, the first turnoff is when you say it's, you know, dear coach uh, Brown at University of Hawaii and you know it's supposed to be to coach
0: Jackson at Montevallo yeah definitely a bad look yes definitely a bad (laughs) look personalize and make sure it's accurate. yes awesome question three the most effective form of free exposure that can help a recruit get interest from a college program is blank send an email send an email with video just like I said coach's contact info just send an email free and easy all right question four The biggest key to being a successful college baseball player is blank. Um, A consistent daily drive um, with
1: an accountability to yourself and discipline. Question five.
0: The best part
1: about college baseball is blank. Building relationships. Um, I think this is a relationship business. Um, Building a relationship with the kid um, where you see the kid mature and grow over a four-year period. Um, I think that's why I'm in the business. I think that's why most college coaches are in the business is to form relationships with kids, um, you know, that last longer than just four years.
0: Awesome, man. I think we may have made those too easy on you. <laughs> But yeah. ab- absolutely nailed those answers. That's great information for, for kids and, and parents. You know, a lot of times the best information is just simple and straight to the point. Yeah. So appreciate that. I want to finish up by talking about some pitching specific development stuff sure. that you guys are doing. Um, we've, we've kind of bounced back and forth between that throughout the conversation, but I just want to dive a little deeper into that. Take us through what your pitcher development plan looks like. You know, what are some of the pillars? Are you guys using weighted balls? You're doing long toss you using technology, what, You know, what are you doing to get your guys better?
1: Yeah, man. Um, I think first and foremost, I believe in an individualized development. I don't think everybody is the same. Um, From a development standpoint, guys are going to develop quicker than others. Um, So first, understanding that it's a marathon, not a sprint. So we have a couple different programs. I don't have this one program for everybody. Mm -hmm. Now we have our core beliefs and core philosophies of what we're trying to do on the mound. Um, But from a development standpoint, um, I just think everybody's different. I'm a big believer in driveline. We do use weighted balls, part of our warm-up every day. Um, We'll have about 10 guys go through driveline this fall. But for me, I don't think it's for everybody. And then the majority, everybody else is on long toss programs. Um, I'm a big believer we throw a lot, and the majority of them are on long toss. Um, So just from a development standpoint, I think is – For me, I sit down with every kid individually to start the fall. I'm open ears. Um, I don't want to just rewrite the ship. Um, It's, you know, if they have something they've been doing their whole lives to get them to this point, um, I'm not just wanting to throw that into the garbage. You know, I'm open ears, um, but I'm trying to, you know, trying to be a two-way street. Yeah. And then kind of from the, I'm a big believer in the warm-up. I think, you know, a lot of guys don't warm up properly. I think that's where a lot of injuries happen. So we do not just roll out the baseballs and go down the right field line and play catch. Um, Our warm-up takes about 20, 25 minutes. It's a full circuit um, from the Jager bands um, to body blades to jump ropes to speed ladder to hurdles for hip mobility, a bunch of different things. Um, I just think before you touch a baseball, you should have a little sweat going. And, you know, and obviously the first couple weeks are warm-up kicks – kicks our guys tail. Um, but over time it builds an endurance and a little more stamina. And, you know, obviously my, I think as a pitching coach, I think you're 75% a trainer and 25% a a pitching coach. Um, I think, you know, guys are going to throw the best on days that they feel great. Um, so my job is ultimately to have as many days that you feel great, where the ball comes out of your hand, feeling great as many times as possible. Um, and I think that, you know, that's kind of my job um, to do that. Um, and the biggest compliment for me is when, you know, our guys get done with the up and they're playing catch and they're like, Coach Jackson, I've never felt this loose before. Well, that's the purpose of the warm warmup. Um, it's to build endurance over time. Because um, we still do arm care post-throw, and I think everybody in the country does that. I just, you know, I just go into some high school games where you just see the guy just pick up a baseball and go down the line and start throwing. Um I just think that that's setting up for failure, maybe not right away, but down the road. but you know, anywhere from just doing some sprints, some arm circles, just get the body going before you even touch a baseball um, and just warm up properly and you know kind of our motto, and I know a lot of people use this, is we warm up to throw, we don't throw to warm up, and so you know I have a big passion for the warm up um, and then kind of in the fall, we spend a lot of time on the lower half. I believe in working from the ground up. I think a lot of guys don't know how to utilize their hips down the mound properly in the sequencing and firing of when the back hip's supposed to fire, um, the front foot and all of that. Um, so we spend a lot of time on the lower half in the fall. And then obviously, like I spoke on earlier, a little bit about you know getting guys connected at the top. But ultimately, man, as in the development standpoint, I just think everybody's different. And it's my job to figure out, how Joe ticks compared to Bob and how am I to get going to get both of those guys better, you know, doing two totally maybe separate programs, um, but just kind of tailoring it for our guys and getting the best out of them, whatever program that may be. And honestly, man, we have a couple guys that came in and they are diehard on this one program that they do. And I'm not just going to rewrite the ship. We're going to tailor it and, you know, put it in with our stuff, but I'm still going to allow them to do it. But I guess ultimately to answer your question, we do usually weighted balls and we do long toss. Um, I just think, you know, you got to figure out which ones to use for, you know, each guy.
0: Awesome. I mean, that's really good stuff. And this is uh, you know, if you're a recruit out there listening, this is the type of stuff that you want to ask about. Obviously you can tell that coach Jackson has a detailed plan, you know, for, for every guy and, and hearing about, how a program is going to develop you and how they're going to get you better is definitely something that you want to ask about in the recruiting process. Um, for sure.
1: And I think, Ethan, I think, you know, guys in the recruiting process, kids, you know, they need to pick schools on where they feel comfortable with the coaching staff because that's, you know, those are guys that you're going to see their face 90% of the time for four years. So, You know, yeah. ask the hard questions. Ask what it's going to be like when they get here. I think our players are, our best recruiters because, you know, they can tell future recruits how it's really going to be like, how Coach Jackson's really going to be when you get here in that aspect of it. Are there
0: any questions that are off limits? You know, is there anything that a recruit definitely shouldn't ask about? Uh, or, is every, or is everything open season? Um, everything's open season.
1: I think playing time, you know, that's all earned. Um, you get the question of, Coach, where, how much am I going to play as a freshman? I can't answer that. That's all earned in the fall. But obviously, you know, what the future plan is, those are definitely appropriate questions on, you know, coach, if I come in and I get the work in and I get better at A, B, and C, where do you see me? Um, I think those are definitely questions that you need to ask. Um, What's kind of the future? What do you have the future plans for me if I choose your school? Um, What's the development going to look like? Um, What's the day-to-day plan going to be? Um, And how are you going to make me better um, if I come and choose your program? Awesome. Do you think
0: a lot of the stuff that you guys are doing is adaptable at the high school level? Does it fit with, you know, a a high school schedule? And and if so, what are maybe one or two key points that you would suggest that high school players or, or coaches adapt into their kind of development process for their pitchers?
1: Um, I think it definitely is, for sure. I think that, you know, from a pitching standpoint, I think, number one, like I spoke on earlier, just have some point, some point of warm-up, um, a routine in place. So when they show up to the field every day, they know what they're doing and what they, you know, need to get done. Um, I think, second most, you need to be organized. Um, just from a standpoint of, you know, a player – Loves to see his weekly schedule instead of just showing up to the yard. And, you know, you're like, hey, you have a bullpen today. And the kid's like, well, I didn't know that. Um So just kind of being detailed yeah. and organized on the front end. And just having some, you know, some sort of warm up on the front end just for health care and, and longevity down the road.
0: I know you guys just started your season and you've been crushing these questions. We don't want to keep you on here forever. So. <laughs> we just got one last question and we asked this to all our guests uh, and I think it's a good one to end on and really kind of gets at our focus of, you know, providing insider information to recruit so that they can make educated decisions throughout the recruiting process and end up at a program that fits what they're looking for. Uh, and we provide that information for free so that it's accessible to everyone. But if you have the ear of a ninth grader, right now who wants to play college baseball what would be your best piece of advice to help them being successful and making it to the next level um for sure if, if it's a
1: if it's a freshman i know we've hit on it a lot but i think number one get in the weight room and just make strides there um, i think second play multiple sports play football play basketball wrestle um, whatever it is those obviously help you out down the road from an athletic standpoint And I think, you know, obviously just enjoy the game, learn as much as you can, Um, never take a day for granted. There's so many resources out there, the internet, there's so many articles you can get on and just, you know, just become knowledgeable in your craft. Learn all about the different mechanics, the biomechanics on the mound or the swing or whatever it is. Just do your research and become as knowledgeable as you can. And I think lastly, man, just at the end of the day, just be a kid. Um, I think there's, you know, the year round baseball and if you're a pitcher, be very smart about it. You should have shutdown periods, but just enjoy being a kid and just, you know, obviously just do your research on schools and what would be good fits for you. Um, but get after in the weight room, um, I think, is a big aspect of, of making it to the next level.
0: You absolutely crushed these questions and provided these guys with a ton of knowledge. So we definitely appreciate you taking the time want to wish you and the Falcons best of luck this year, Um, and I hope that uh, we can get you back on the podcast at some point down the line and uh, dive into some of these areas a little bit more after you guys get back to the regionals for the second year in a row. For sure, Ethan. Well, thanks for
1: having me, man, and thanks for everything that you're doing. Um, I follow you on Twitter and and all the social networks, and what you're doing, man, is awesome, and it's it's really furthering our game and very accessible and um, doing a lot for for kids' knowledge standpoint and just what it takes to get to the next level.
0: Definitely appreciate the kind words and obviously it wouldn't be possible without generous coaches like yourself coming on to share their time and information with recruits out there. So thanks for coming on and we really look forward to having you back again sometime soon. For
1: sure, thanks, Ethan.
0: Thanks for tuning in to College Baseball Recruiting One Hundred and One Podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. As always, if you need more information on the college baseball recruiting process or what it takes to play college baseball, you can find that for free on our website, www.keepplayingbaseball.org. You can also track us down on our social media accounts. That's Twitter at keepplayingbb, Facebook Keep Playing Baseball, and Instagram uh, handle at keepplayingbaseball. That's it for this episode. We look forward to catching you next time. Until then, take care.